You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hey, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. In my single season, I've really been trying to spend a lot of time learning how to do things in a new way. And that involves a lot of different things. It involves the way I look at myself, the way I parent my kids, but it certainly also deals with the way that I approach relationships. And something that has become really apparent to me is patterns that I learned and observed in my childhood and things that had happened gave me a wrong depiction of what healthy is when it comes to healthy relationships, creating healthy intimacy, and also healthy sexuality. What I've needed in this season to get reoriented is some very specific standards and expectations that I should be able to have going into a relationship. My pattern in the past has been somewhat codependent and I was always confused about what that meant. In this episode, we're gonna talk specifically about what codependency really means, but just to kind of give you a brief overview, it's oftentimes we're not expecting mutuality in our relationships. It's where we're walking into relationships and allowing the other person to kind of define the terms. It's accepting treatment that's less than we really deserve. And I actually really used to hate that when somebody would say, this is not what you deserve. I'm like, well, who says what I deserve? And that really actually, I feel now is kind of a codependent thing to not have a set of expectations for what kind of treatment is appropriate. Maybe that's the best way to put it. But being able to have very specific guidelines, what is appropriate, what's not appropriate, I think is a better way for us to be able to have the ability to say, this is a red flag and I am walking away from it, or I'm setting up a boundary here. Because not having those things going into dating and relationships just creates a recipe for disaster when we're kind of open to whatever might come our way. In this conversation, I'm bringing back Steve and Celesta Tracy from Mending the Soul. In the last episode, we talked with them about the effects of abuse and trauma and how to start overcoming those. And in their workbook, they have five reasonable and biblical relational expectations that are part of their healing manual. This page was so pivotal for me that I decided we need to do a whole episode on this. So in this conversation, Steve and Celesta and I talk about what are those reasonable expectations, and we talk about how breaking the cycle of abuse or unhealthy relationships involves first a changing of our minds, which then ultimately changes our behaviors. It changes the things that we do, changes what we accept. It also changes the way that we approach sexuality in our relationships. The thing I love about the way that they describe intimacy and sexuality, and you'll hear this, is that it's not simply a list of do's and don'ts. And those are things that a lot of us grew up with, especially if you grew up as a Christian, with just kind of this list of things that you need to stay away from or that are forbidden. And the way that Steve and Celesta talk about sexual intimacy really highlights what is God's intention? What is the design, not only for the way that we should be interacting with another person, but also how this is an extension of our relationship with God and how we want to really foster that and take good care of our own hearts, take good care of what God has put inside of us and value and treasure that. As we launch into this episode today, I do want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. I've talked about Faithful Counseling quite a lot before, but I will just say it again and again, having another person's eyes on situations, whether you're dating or engaging in new relationships, just helps so much for you to number one, know what you don't know, but number two, have some wise counsel when it comes to how we're feeling or how another person might be behaving and getting another read on that. It's Christian counseling that's on your schedule and works through an app. It's super duper convenient and I just really have enjoyed it. If you go right now to getfaithful.com slash single mom, you can actually get 10% off of your first month. So if you're walking through this season and you're really feeling like you need some extra help, faithful counseling might be a good option for you. Steve and Celesta have been married over 40 years and they have just a very awesome connection. It's something that when I was interviewing the two of them, I'm just watching them play off of each other and how much they care for each other And it's just such a cool thing to see a healthy role model in that way. And I think some of that comes through in this conversation. You'll really enjoy that. 
they work really hard at building their intimacy. And I think that that's something you get to witness in this conversation. So once again, here is Steve and Celesta Tracy from Mending the Soul. Steve and Celesta, I'm so excited to have you in on sort of part two of the conversation that we've begun. In the first part, we talked a little bit about understanding some of the spiritual effects of abuse and how a woman can get support if she's in that situation. But I often hear from women who have been through abusive situations and may have started on their healing journey and are interested in engaging in new romantic relationships but they may have some fear around that and they may not know exactly the best way to approach that and they wanna do it well. So I'm so very glad that you're willing to speak into this because I think that your insight just, it peels away a lot of the fear that a woman would feel in this situation so that she's able to see where she needs to go and then feel confident as she walks into that. As we start, what I wanna know is from your experience, what are some of the typical difficulties that women will experience when they're trying to form new opposite sex relationships when they do have a history of abuse in their past? I would say probably it's the codependency. We've been hearing about that a long time, but um, it's, and what codependency is basically is that propensity or that habit of paying attention to what you're feeling and thinking and needing and what your opinions are, but not myself. So when you say your, you mean the other, the other person, not myself. The other person, Mm -hmm. uh, a partner, a spouse, so that other person. So, and that develops because we, as children, when we are neglected, abused, experienced trauma, that is not, that victimization is not about the child. It's about the needs of the offender, what the offender wants, is doing, thinks is right. And the child is victimized in that. So the mechanism of development that God built in through securely attached relationships is I'm in distress. There's somebody there. The mother is the first secure attachment that God intended who responds to my distress, my cry for help with comfort. So distress, comfort, distress, comfort. So for a child that's being abused or neglected, they're in distress, they cry, there's no comfort. It happens again, distress, pain, no comfort. And that happens repeatedly until the baby stops crying, the child stops crying, starts, stops asking for help, and just begins to die on the inside. And then those effects of abuse that we talked about in the last podcast are uh, the numbing and all of that takes place. So that child then grows up, we'll say it's a little girl, grows up to be a woman in relationship and So she will not automatically know or even be emotionally connected enough to know what she's feeling. Maybe won't even know what's painful, what's hurtful. Uh, She's numb, she's shamed. So if there's these angry outbursts, uh, controlling uh, uh, relational patterns, this woman could believe because of those distortions that she deserves it she did ruin dinner. So she did make a mistake. And so these patterns get going very quickly in an adult relationship. And because of reenactment, again, a child that's victimized will reenact in adult relationships, their own victimization or perpetration. And that happens outside of our awareness. And so if pornography is a part of a childhood home, the messaging of pornography is normalized. Sexual abuse in a home, neglect, that's all normalized. So that's why it's then so difficult to break those patterns in and, and actually 
secure, initiate, maintain a healthy, intimate relationship as an adult. And really the starting place is being education. It's why we put in our curriculum reasonable and biblical relational expectations and different teachings like that. It's helpful as an adult to see healthy, intimate relationships modeled, to be in healthy homes where there's a husband and a wife that love and respect each other, where there's equality and mutuality. And then the third most important step to take is initiate and continue in your own personal healing. Because when you understand the effects, how those have shown up in you, you're going to know where those developmental wounds are. And wherever you have those developmental wounds, you are going to have scars. And where we have scars, heart scars, we are more sensitive, we are more tender, we're more vulnerable in those places. And therefore, the needs that we have where we have those scars are going to be even more intensified. We have to understand that, validate that for ourselves, so we know how to ask for that, those needs to be met in a relationship. I think one of the tricky parts of codependency is because a lot of times it's rooted in our childhood raising, upbringing, that we don't know what we don't know. We do not understand that the way we are approaching relationship and engaging relationship is what is holding us back. And then on top of it, I often see this, and this was my pattern, where I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to help other people. I'm supposed to put other other people's needs first. So how can we dissect the difference between this is healthy biblical Christian sacrifice versus codependency? Uh, I I think of in Philippians 2, Paul says, don't merely look out for your own needs, but also for the needs of others. The way that's worded, it presupposes you are aware of your own needs. Mm -hmm. Um, God doesn't call us to pretend that, that we don't have needs and basically destroy ourselves in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that just, that, that's a distortion of biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we have to understand that it's mutuality, that if you're in your deepest relationships with the most trust being exchanged, that there does have to be a mutuality to it. And that if at any point you feel that there's an overgiving or a one-sidedness, then you can know that that is more of a, a codependent sort of a situation that you're in. Exactly. Of, of course, in ministry, <clears throat> I mean, think of parenting. It's pretty one-sided when our kids are little. Give, give, give. And, you know, they give us joy and all, but physically and in other ways, we're the ones doing the giving. So, of course, there are relationships where that's totally fitting. But if we're talking about an intimate relationship, it's very different. It there needs to be a reciprocity, a, a mutuality. Look at the end of um, Genesis two, that beautiful description of it's the only one we have in scripture of marriage without sin, and it's this beautiful no shame, oneness, uh, etc. Very mutual, and so in a marriage context or an intimate friendship as well. There needs to be that mutuality. Mm -hmm. I think that was something that in my healing process I came across that was really fascinating to me was conceptualizing relationships, healthy relationships more as that side by side, that, that Ezer connection that Eve had to Adam was a side by side type of a companionship where their needs and their abilities both fit each other's gaps basically. Yeah, and that's the idea. That's a good rendering of that, that phrase. Yeah, um, helper suitable. Mm-hmm. Whereas after the fall, very next chapter, Genesis 3, verse 16, in the curse, we see the complete opposite, the disruption. Uh, the woman's desire will be for her husband, mm-hmm. but he will rule over her. Mm-hmm. That's not saying that's what God wants. That's mm-hmm. a prediction in a fallen world. There won't be a healthy intimacy. There won't be mutuality. 
men will be tempted in their sinfulness to abuse their power to dominate. Mm -hmm. And women, I think God has made women responders. And so they'll be tempted to desire in, in a codependent sort of way. Mm -hmm. They'll right. try to get from a man what ultimately they can only get from God. Right. So their desire will be constantly in an unhealthy way. Right. To make sure his needs are met. His needs are met in a, yeah, codependency, I think, is, is mm -hmm. the best word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not agape. You know what? A researcher that sheds a lot of light on our sexual development and sexuality and our differences is Michael Gerian in Wonder of Boys, Wonder of Girls. It's a great resource for parents. And he talks about that neurobiology that for when, uh, men, they are initiators. That's that testosterone effect within them. And they initiate, they're bold and competitive. And women are responders, love to nurture, love to fill in those spaces. And they're um, just the beauty and the complementation of that. And when you have a relationship in which there's emotional connection and psychological connection and intimacy. It's in the one anothering that you keep that balance in place of her meeting his needs, him meeting her needs in ways that feel respectful to each other. Because there is, uh, there is this template for communication, this desire of him for her. I want to know what you need. I want to sacrifice to give you, to meet these needs in you and her for him. It's when that gets out of balance that you move into uh, areas of dysfunction and unhealth. And I know generally we'll see after trauma, one of two responses where you're either over eager to make connection and to run into relationships in sort of a more anxious attachment style mm -hmm. versus the opposite where it's this connectivity thing freaks me out and I want to keep a comfortable distance and be right. more avoidant of connection and relationship. And both really do cause us to actually isolate ourselves from healthy relationship and from healthy right. relationship dynamics. Yeah. So can you help us understand how we unknowingly end up self-isolating and how we can start to recognize a pattern when maybe this is just the way we've always done it? Well, I, what comes to mind immediately is uh, sexuality, uh, pornography. So we're all made in God's image. So we have this potent desire to know and be known in relationship. It's powerful. It never goes away. We can deaden to it, but it's always there. So a person that comes out of some brokenness, they haven't looked at that, that they haven't understood it, that hasn't been healed. They have the longing to be close to somebody, but it's very scary to share their heart and soul. So for many survivors, it's they're much more comfortable sharing their bodies with each mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. So they come together, they have sex, that's very enjoyable, but it's not satisfying because it's not coming out of this committed monogamous relationship in which there's this lifetime commitment to each other. So we, uh, in a book, Forever and Always, The Art of Intimacy, we teach this intimacy class at Phoenix Seminary together. But in the model, we, we put sexuality in its proper place so that as a person, as a couple or two people, even two friends move towards uh, understanding what emotional intimacy is, then relational intimacy, then affection, affectionate non-erotic touch, then in marriage, sexual expression is the expression of that bondedness. And in marriage, it takes the pressure off of sex itself. Um, it was 
for several years, my clinical team and myself, we worked with the traffic girls in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for a couple of years as we were asked to create some curriculum, Christian curriculum for them. And they would describe, they would basically let a man do anything to them, but they wouldn't kiss them because they didn't want to move into anything that was intimate or connected. That's an example of hiding. And we talked about that safety is such a big key piece to be able to formulate relationships well after coming out of an abusive or traumatic type of relationship. Can you talk about the role of safety and how we can start to do things differently. So as you mentioned, it's very common that we might run into a physical relationship because we are really scared of actually having a deep connected relationship. Mm -hmm. So how do we go about changing that pattern by keeping safety as the foremost um, quality that we're looking for in establishing good relationships? It's uh, such an important uh, question. And again, I know we keep saying this, but it comes back to personal healing. Because if I haven't worked on connecting my own mind, my own head, with my own heart, with the heart of God, I'm not getting the right messaging inside of me. And there's a, a art, a piece of expressive art in the workbook that I love so much done by a pastor's daughter back in the day. And I still have it on my wall because it's so poignant in, in that heart. It's her inner heart are all of these rooms with little staircases and cobwebs on the door. So the doors are all locked. So, so all of these experiences that were painful that I haven't looked at, I haven't addressed. It's like, parts literally of our heart, of our inner self, that are these rooms, the door is shut and locked. I don't go in there. The lights haven't been turned on in a long time. And there is no way you're going to get in there either. And so the more of those rooms we have, it's the greater percentage of our interior selves, our inner selves, that are off limits to other people. Those people that we love dearly, our kids, mm -hmm. spouse, friends, uh, spiritual community, it's all off limits. So the only way that I'm going to feel this vibrant connection with you in ministry or you as a friend or you as a spouse or you as my daughter is if I've opened those doors, I've opened up those rooms, turned on the lights, cleaned it out. And then this artist, I asked her to do a follow-up painting and she did. It's the same heart, but all of the doors are opened. Mm. Light is emanating out of this room and on the back of the door is a cross. Mm. It's the coolest thing. Wow. Because that's our reward in it all. Yes, God wants us for this deep, and there's always more intimacy to be had in relationship. I, Stephen, I've been married for 41 years. I, I mean, I don't even know how to say how much I love that guy. Mm. And we work really, really, really hard on our intimacy. Mm -hmm. And this is why, because every year there's more intimacy to be experienced with each other than we have the year before we can't even plumb the depths of what God made us to experience because we're made in his image and he is a God in relationship with himself and us. So you think about that. So the harder I work on me, connecting my head, my heart with the spirit of God, the word of God, I get more confident in truth. I am more alive, more dynamic, more aware, more connected, and you put that person in relationship with anybody, and there's going to be a spark. There's going to be that magic that happens. How do I know if I'm safe with Steve? If I am completely connected with my own heart, and he does something that might really hurt me, and 
I evaluate, I know that's in our relationship unintentional. I, I can know how to address that with him because I feel it. We can talk about it. And he has safe, comforting responses back, which tell me over and over again, you are a safe person. And then you stay in relationship with somebody like that and you cross a threshold then that you can say, I know that I know that I know that you are safe. And even when you hurt me, you're not intending to. And I can talk to you about it and you will respond in ways that help heal that wound, that injury. Well, and I find that when we know ourselves and that's knowing yourself strengths and weaknesses, then you're able to identify, number one, what is a fit for that? If my weakness mm -hmm. is this thing over here, then I should look for a person who has a strength in that area and doesn't mind patiently walking with me in those things. But that also, it helps us to establish, if I know who myself is and someone says something that is opposite to me about myself, then I know that person is not safe, that you have the ability not to anymore internalize and say, oh, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I did do that, that you're confident in your personhood and who God made you to be that you can say, nope, that is not me. And I am going to continue to move on from this. <laughs> yeah. And I think that sometimes we're afraid that, especially if you come from a codependent style that makes you fear disconnection, you don't want to shut people out. Often we just sort of like brush those disconnecting things under the rug and anything that we have in us, we might change or minimize so that we don't disqualify other people from being in our lives because we just want to enjoy connectivity. But that if we do know ourselves, we'll be able to enjoy the right kind of connectivity and yes. the healthiest kinds of relationships of all sorts, because mm -hmm. it starts with understanding this is who God made me to be. And then this is how I can relate to all of the people that are around me. It doesn't mean that if somebody's not a fit for me, that they're deficient. It doesn't mean that now I'm rejecting them or cutting them off. It just means that for where I'm going in my life, what God has for me and who he's made me to be, I am honoring that in the way that I approach relationships. I don't think you can have a conversation about healthy relationships without also addressing loneliness. Loneliness is an issue that all of us single moms have dealt with, we're dealing with perhaps. And I've developed some resources to help with changing some of the mindsets and some of the patterns that might be causing you to experience deep feelings of longing and loneliness. If you go over to agapemoms.com free, you can take the quiz there called, what is your loneliness type? Loneliness is not a one size fits all type of problem. There's different things that each of us does and thinks that creates a different experience when it comes to loneliness. But those are things that can be worked on, they can be changed. And once you know what your type is, then you can look at the resources that are available there to get a sense for what's the best way that you might start to tackle some of those thought processes and behaviors. The newest addition to the Healing After Heartbreak series is a video course. The video course is called From Lonely to Alive, A Single Mom's Guide to Life and Love. And in it, I teach seven exercises to help you along this pathway of healing. And as I'm just now launching this course, I wanna offer a special price on this e-course that you can take advantage of today. This lowered price will only be available for a limited time. So what you'll wanna do first though is go take that quiz at agapemoms.com free and you can get started today. So you mentioned just a few minutes ago, you mentioned that in the workbook, there are the five reasonable and biblical relational expectations. And I love this list because it talks about in the description, using this list to help you assess your current relationships. But for a person who needed some reassessing of healthy relationships and boundaries and what those are supposed to look like, and me being really... I'm a to-do lister and a checklister and all that to be able to have a list of very specific things that I could say, oh, okay, that's how I need to change my mind about this. Or, okay, I'm on the right track with this. That this list is so good for just laying a new foundation for how to approach healthy relationships. 
So I'd like to go through that list for the listeners uh, so that those who are struggling with being able to say, like, I don't know what I don't know. How do I start to look at what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like? I've only ever had unhealthy relationships. So you start off with to be treated with respect. And why do you think it is that we accept and explain away you know, abusive behaviors and things that are really not connections that we're supposed to be a part of. And how can we understand the difference between somebody who just made a mistake perhaps, and maybe somebody who would be chronically disrespectful? Because I know a lot of the times we'll enter into a relationship and somebody might just make a mistake. And because of our past experiences, we're like, whoa, get away from me. Yeah, that's a great question, Michelle. And Again, this is in a context of codependency and unhealthiness. Proverbs says it's the glory of a man to overlook a fault. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says that genuine love hardly even notices when it's wronged. That, those descriptions are not in a context of codependency. That, so the, it's important to, to clarify. We're talking about healthy relationships. Our Lord himself, the end of John 2, said many were following him. Jesus, but he did not entrust himself to them because he knew their hearts. Isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't enter into more intimate relationships with certain followers. He didn't trust himself to them relationally because he knew there was something spiritually unhealthy about their hearts. They were following him for what they could get out of it, basically. So I think that's a pattern for us in terms of intimate relationships. There are certain things that we need to be looking for so that it can be an appropriately healthy, intimate relationship. Um, abuse programs us in tragic ways to, to not be treated seriously, to not be treated well. Um, shame kicks in and we think we're just not worthy of that. So we put up with, with disrespectful treatment and that's not healthy for us. And it's not healthy for the person that's doing it um, for them to mistreat other people. Um, and again, I, there's lots of examples in scripture of Jesus, Paul, David, others who, when someone was mistreating them physically or verbally, they, they fled from that. They, they didn't just stay there and, and act as if this is a healthy, intimate relationship. Um, we are worthy of being treated with respect and we're to treat with respect respect. So let's move down to number two. Um, and number two is to feel safe. And I highlighted a quote here. It says, if your partner behaves in ways that lead you to have unwanted sexual contact with him, you are not in a safe relationship. This is a difficult one because as you said, sometimes when we're feeling unhealthy, we tend to run into physical relationship very quickly. And sometimes we may have even received guidance in the past that, no, it's your duty. And certainly we're not saying in a dating relationship, it's your duty, but um, that, that there may be some shame that's around that to say, well, I failed at my duty before, you know, so how would you say, you know, if a woman is carrying that, you know, and she's received guidance that, no, the reason your relationship is so terrible is because you're not serving your wifely duty and that kind of thing. How do we reorient that so that she can look at that in a healthy way in a future relationship or future marriage? Tragically, we're often in the evangelical church misconstrue biblical teaching on male-female roles, and women can almost essentially be programmed to not question her husband's authority, if you will, and feel like she's responsible before God to do whatever he says, and men can really take advantage of that and throw the headship submission card on the table if they don't get what they want. And Celeste and I certainly counseling have so often seen abusive men, unhealthy men, sinful men demand things of their wives sexually and otherwise. And, and again, use the biblical language. Well, God said you have to submit to me. And, and that can even include sexual practices that a woman finds abhorrent, disgusting, violate her conscience, but you know, a godly woman wants to honor the Lord, so can really put her in a quandary. So 
couple of comments. The most detailed teaching on sexuality and marriage in the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. And it's very clear there that we are to meet each other's needs sexually in marriage. Uh, Paul says that expressly. But it's interesting, several different times, he expresses that sexual ethic in marriage in terms of complete mutuality. And he goes so far as to say that a husband does not have sexual authority over his own body in marriage. His wife has the authority and vice versa. So it's, it's very mutual in terms of uh, the authority we have over our own bodies, um, how we're to meet each other's needs sexually. And frankly, I say this as a, as a man and as a Christian ethicist, uh, any man that demands things sexually of his wife against her, her wishes, against her conscience, and then he does it under the biblical submission card, is misusing scripture. Uh, and that's hideous. A woman only has one Lord, and it's Jesus. Husbands are not a wife's Lord. Husband doesn't have a right to pressure his wife to violate her conscience. And Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians issues of, of conscience and, and says that we're to do everything we do with confidence before God. We're not to violate our conscience. So I really want to give uh, our, our listeners, women, permission and a sense of um, ownership of, of their conscience and, and following that out uh, wherever it leads and, and having a confidence biblically that you don't have to go along with any kind of desire that your husband asks of you sexually or otherwise. Um, it doesn't accord with scripture uh, or your conscience and those kind of go together. The answer is no. I had understood from a counselor once as well that if I think where a woman might feel that hesitation that often, as you said, sometimes scripture is kind of thrown at her to say, well, you shouldn't, you know, see women are going to hesitate. And so you shouldn't hesitate and you know, that kind of thing. But as you said, that their bodies belong one to another. So you can't have one person doing all the demanding and the other person, it, because that hesitation oftentimes comes from some sort of fear and some sort of disruption in the intimacy. Now, if you walk right. into a relationship with scars and they haven't been healed yet and you have to work on your own healing to get there, your relationship is safe if the person allows you the space to do that and is not demanding those things right. of you. But it very well may, may be also that that hesitation is because he is the source of that fear and, and that hesitation. So that it's right. important as we're talking as well about having self-work done that in the process of going through that self-work and having a counselor or wise people that you trust, that they have the ability to help you determine whether or not that is something that's external, it's affecting you in this relationship or whether it's in the relationship itself. But regardless, this safe person should have compassion and understanding for where you're at, that if you do need to do some healing work, that you have the space to do that so that it does develop and grow intimacy. And if your intimacy then does not grow from that space, then you know something is wrong within the relationship dynamic itself. Absolutely. And that, that's an important distinction. Those needs could have preceded the marriage or they may come out of it or, or both. But yeah, in a healthy relationship, we're sensitive to that dynamic for each other. Number three, you talk about to have possibilities expanded, not diminished, and that we should be able to have the expectation that there would be mutual support, mutual sacrifices we kind of talked about earlier. How do you think we can guard against, like from a more tactical perspective, against getting into one-sided type of relationships? To have possibilities expanded and not diminished, again, in, a, in an intimate relationship, that is a really legitimate um, expectation. That's how intimacy is built. There's mutuality. God goes so far on this that uh, in 1 Peter 3, 7, he tells husbands, to it's a command, live with your wives in an understanding way. Responsibility is on the husband to be sensitive to his wife, how she's wired her needs, um, and give her grace as a fellow heir of eternal life. And then he goes on to say, and husbands, if, if you don't want to do that, don't expect me to answer your prayers. Because he concludes it with, lest your prayers be hindered. 
Um, I, I get this picture. God is saying to us as husbands, okay, I gave my son. My son laid down his life for the wife I gave you. That's how much I care about her needs. Mm. If you as her husband don't care enough to live with her with knowledge, to work hard at knowing her needs and responding appropriately, don't expect me to answer your prayers if you're not even going to cherish and love the wife that I gave you that I love. So those kind of texts tell me it's, it's absolutely legitimate, appropriate for a wife to expect, not in a perfect way, we're sinners, but in a healthy, intimate relationship that her husband would be nourishing her, cherishing her, lifting her up, and, and hence um, her life is going to be expanded and not diminished. Number four, then, we talk, uh, you talk about to enjoy passion and intimacy. And abuse often causes, as we talked about, victims to maybe be somewhat dysregulated sexually, that they may be running way into it really quickly, or they may be pulling way back from it. So knowing that that's the case, how can we approach relationships with intimacy and sexuality in such a way that we don't make what's already under the surface any worse? Intimacy is not something we find. It's something we create. Mm, I love that. Wow. That's and good. as women, I mean, we're, we're romantic at heart and it's like, oh, I just haven't found the right person. Well, it's really, it is about finding the right person in the sense of it's somebody that loves God, loves his word and follows it as he walks it out in life. So that person is, if he's there and he's done his own personal work and knows how to respond to me and is alive to his own longings, he's the right person. So then together we craft and we create this intimacy between us, trusting that God's guidelines, because he's a good God, so his guidelines lead to life, passion, sparks, um, everything amazing. That's where he leads us. So we trust those guidelines, like saying you don't start with sex. That's not how you're going to create anything healthy. You start with your relationship. Sex doesn't create it. It's created and then crafted around my heart scars, Steve's heart scars. So we have these built-in patterns of responding to each other that are turned into habits in our relationship and guidelines that keep us from falling down the mountain and keep us on track with each other. And as we've gone through a lot of developmental seasons, we were emptiness, then not emptiness, and emptiness again, then not again. And at each of those, we had to recraft some things together. But that's the good news in it. Yeah, there's brokenness. God already knows that. Mm -hmm. So he says, do relationships like I guide you and you will create something so special with each other. You will be surprised by what the fruit of that that's on the other side. I love that you said that though. So brilliant to say it is something that you create. It's not something that you find. It's something that you create because I think a lot of times, especially because yes, we do start our healing work first, but there comes a point where you're off the page basically, as I like to say it, like you're not anymore doing this just theoretical by yourself. This is something that you have to start exploring in connectivity and in relationship. And sometimes you're inclined to get it wrong at the beginning. And so have having the sense that, no, you're not looking to find something that just like magically is going to pop out of this person, that this is yes. a level of connectivity that you're establishing and growing together, I think also takes yeah. the pressure off of when you think about even just like your first date, everybody's looking for like that, like ooh, magic experience. And yeah. Yeah. And yes, there are people that you'll relate to more easily and more quickly, but that's yeah. not even always the best thing. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's like, it, and once you get into it, you like get it. It's like, 
yeah, okay, so this conflict is not fun to work through, but on the other side of that conflict and resolution are gonna be some new guidelines. Like they could be really simple things um, to pretty important things, you know, and you just customize those guidelines for each dimension. So it takes the, it starts to diminish your fear about relationship and increases your anticipation in a positive way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now we're down to number five and it says to feel loved a majority of the time. And I know that that seems like it should be just second nature. We should just think that way. But after being in unhealthy relationships, I think we get used to not feeling loved most of the time. And so to have that as a reasonable expectation kind of jumped off the page at me. Mm. Um, and many, you know, after going through unhealthy and abusive type relationships, we may be somewhat disconnected even from our emotions, or we may have, you know, go back into those tendencies to want to explain things away. And so practically speaking, how can we start to venture into these relationships, but yet also be able to accurately assess really what is happening? What kind of support do you think that we need? We have to educate ourselves on these are healthy behaviors. These are unhealthy behaviors. These are healthy expectations. These are unhealthy expectations. And so that we know from sources of truth, and that's why we weave scripture throughout our resources, because at the end of the day, God's word is the only thing that we can know. Okay, that is truth. And when God's word has been perverted or distorted or used in ways that support abuse of power, we educate ourselves on that. So then we spot that and we say, no, you are using scripture to enable an abuse of power in this system, whether it's a macro system like a church or a school or a little system like a marriage. We know that we know what truth is. We've done our healing, so we're connected to the comforter and the spirit of truth who's communicating that to us. We are embedded in healthy relationships, healthy marriages. It's why we have a super open home in our um, marriage and in our family. Holidays are raucous and highly populated affairs because we invite people in that don't have that so that they can be a part of our family. They can see our marriage. They can see normal, not perfect, but normal. And so we have to see that modeled. And then third, we just, we have to experience it. So we do have to get out of our little tiny comfort zones and step into the uncomfortable place of actually just practicing it, whether it's in amending the soul group to begin with in a relationship. And then in time, what's uncomfortable becomes comfortable and our comfort zone increases to take over previously uncomfortable areas and, and places. And then as we grow, as we age, our comfort zone just keeps expanding, 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 expanding. What I loved about this list also is that, and I love that you gave an illustration about your daughter dating in high school, because for me, a lot of times this feels like, wow, I am 17 again, and I'm learning. <laughs> How do you do this well? And I have a daughter who's not yet at dating age, but that as I walk through this, I can look at her and go, would this be okay for her? Would this, right. how would I teach her about this? And I, I just think that not only for me and myself and just approaching this the way that God wants me to for my own life, it just formulates such a foundation that I think is really teachable to our own sons and daughters to say, these are the kinds of things that you should not only look for in a relationship, but these are the things you should offer in a relationship as well, that you right. are being right. a mutual partner as well, as you look to seek not only what you're going to get from a relationship, but what you're going to pour back into it. I think it would be good for your listeners being single moms to be aware of the fact that we have a couple of resources that I think could be helpful for many of them. One, there's a Mending the Soul adolescent version, a student edition. Mm. So 
or moms with adolescents that have had some kind of trauma. Okay. Uh, I mean, divorce is a trauma in in, in its own yes. right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a healing resource written for adolescents on their level. Their you know, kind of illustrations, etc. Mm, that's great. Um, so that's a resource, and then yeah. Flusta and I, she did most of it. Wrote another called um, "Caring Sorry. for a Vulnerable Child," and it, there's a workbook for the kids, a workbook for the parents, uh, kind of a more of a textbook, for lack of a better word, that goes with it, um, that guides uh, parents or could be caregivers of traumatized children and, and knowing how to help them. It's a great resource. We originally did it particularly for foster kids and their parents, caregivers, but any, and it's pre-adolescence, kids and parents Mm -hmm. where there's been trauma of any kind. Again, it could be a divorce. It could be mentally ill parent, certainly abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, Those would be resources for your moms as well. All of Mending the Soul's resources, that student edition that Steve just mentioned, as well as their other books and workbooks, I will have a link available to in the show notes. After being in an unhealthy relationship, one of the things I'm most sensitive to is not only doing this well in the future and not repeating my past mistakes, but also living that out in front of my kids and giving them very concrete tools that as they get into their dating years that they know specifically what are the things that are appropriate and are not appropriate when it comes to their relationships. Steve and Celesta definitely got me on the right track in this conversation and I just hope that gives you a lot of encouragement when it comes to not only your own life but your kids as well. Before we wrap up here I want to make sure that you know about our new private Facebook group called Beloved Collective. Now, if you listen to the first 20 episodes of the Christian Single Moms podcast, you'll be familiar with Stacy. And Stacy is back. She's joining us in the private group. And we're just creating a fun and safe place where we can support each other as we're walking through our single seasons. There are definitely times that Stacy and I are posting encouraging content or making silly videos. But we also want it to be a place where you can talk to other women who are going through the same thing as you are and ask your questions and find out what has worked for other people who are dealing with similar issues. We don't want it solely to be something that's just our group, it's your group, and we want you to be able to feel free to use that in a way that builds you up and allows you to encourage other women as well. You can find that group just by searching on Facebook for Agape Moms, at Agape Moms, and if you click on the little groups tab that's on that page, then you'll be able to submit a request to join the group. You can also follow Agape Moms on Instagram at Agape Moms. I'm so thankful that you could join me for this episode. We're wrapping up Domestic Violence Awareness Month this week, and I have just learned so much, but I've also heard so much from those of you who have been really touched by the series that we did this month. These are topics that I'm committed to creating awareness around and want to continue to have conversations about these things. They're tough things that women are going through, but God loves us through all of it. And I want every one of us to know, regardless of what got us to the case where we're single moms, God absolutely loves you. He treasures you and he does have great things ahead for you. I'm praying that you'll just experience that in a new way today. And I look forward to having you with me next time.